Hiya, and welcome to The Jewel Case with me, John Darcy. You might be listening on Lisburn's 98 FM, or you might be listening on Bangor FM, or you might actually be listening on FM 105 in Downpatrick. That's great. If you can, please get your mobile phone, download the TuneIn app, get all three on the go somehow at the same time, and then you'll hear this show in glorious triphonic sound. As I said, this is The Jail Case with me, John Darcy. As usual, we're here on a Tuesday, and today I have a very special guest. It's Jan Carson, local author. Well, depends where you're from. Based in Belfast right now, but originally from Ballymena. Indeed, yes. Hi, Jan. Hi, John. So glad that you could come to our studio in Lisbon here and meet me and chat about your new book. Yep, it's lovely to be here tonight. And uh, you've been, we've been chatting away off air because it took me a while to set up the microphones and uh, there's loads of little stories I want to pick up on throughout the rest of the hour. Um, but the book itself you're launching this Thursday. Yep, um, this Thursday at half past six in the Crescent Arts Centre on the Lisburn Road. Oh, I always forget. It is properly the Lisburn Road oh, there. Maybe it's it not isn't. really is Bradbury it the Malone? Place. Is it? It's not the Malone Road. It's sort of where it meets it. Mm, mm. We'll say it's the Lisburn Road because it's... Airing on Do you know that is exact point that the sea used to come up to you in Belfast? There's no. a big rock in the little garden there that marks the point which, where Belfast used to be underwater. Ah. So if you know where that is, that's where the Crescent Arts Centre is. If you're orienteering or you're coming to park your yacht, there's a nice big stone in the Crescent Arts Centre. And no, I'm, I'm going to get ahead of myself and start talking about all the fun things you have planned for your book launch. But for people who don't know, who are you? Who is Jan Carson? Um, I am a girl um, from Ballymena originally. Um, this is my second book, so I guess I'm trying at the minute to say that I am a writer. You are a writer. Well, yeah, it takes a long time to say that as the first thing about you, but I'm trying recently to say I am a writer. My first book was called Malcolm Orange Disappears, and this one is called Children's Children, and it's a short story collection not for children. It would disturb your children if you read it to them. What was the great line from the blurb about the book, uh, that it's uh, you know a commentary on post-troubles? Northern Ireland. Northern Ireland. <laughs> so yeah. definitely not a short story collection for children. Um, I'm also an arts facilitator. Um, I'm a bit of a Bob Dylan disciple, I think is the right name for that. Um, I'm really passionate about working with older people and arts. And um, oh, yes, and I know just about everything there is to know about medical dramas. Mm, loads to unpack over the course yes. of the next hour. Stay tuned. This is the Jewel Case with me, John Darcy, and the lovely John Carson with us tonight for the next hour. Also, I didn't give a shout out to the people who are listening later online on the podcasts. So, shout out to you guys. Thank you for downloading and streaming and tuning in and all that. There might even be people in other countries listening. Oh yeah, by all means. They're probably the ones on the TuneIn app listening online. Um, Absolutely. Liking it and sharing it on Twitter and Facebook and tagging. And I had a band in a couple of weeks ago and we we went on a riff about Snapchat for about half an hour. So uh, let's not go down that road tonight. Let's stick to um, good old terrestrial entertainment. So what is it about hospital dramas that intrigues you most, Jan Carson? Well, um, I couldn't really put my finger on what it is. I think mostly with BBC medical dramas, it's the real sense that by the end of the episode, everything will have like restored calm and if your marriage was falling apart when you came in with an ingrown toenail, it will be fixed by the end of the 50 minutes. Um, There's a really a good George Orwell essay called A Good English Murder where he talks about how English crime fiction is important because the bad guys get punished and there's always reason behind it and order is reinstated and I would say that's probably exactly the same reason why I like Casualty and Holby. It's like The Simpsons or something as well. Those sort of good soap operas always have uh, or good sitcoms always resolve to the state of normality at the start of the episode they always get back there yeah. towards the end yeah absolutely and with Casualty I have not really missed an episode since 1997 wow including a four year stint in America when my poor mother videoed episodes and I would binge watch them when I came like home like properly VHS them I had a whole selection of Casualty video cassettes that were just for Casualty oh John <laughs> I know but I mean it's 
I think one of the highlights of my career this year was when Charlie almost died and the Belfast Telegraph rang me up as a casualty expert <laughs> to write an article <laughs> about Derek Thompson. It's just years of devotion finally paid off. Local casualty commentator John Carson has joined us yes. in the studio tonight. Where would you recommend starting off if I was to get into the hospital soap drama territory? Should I start with the classic casualty or Holby? Maybe is it dangerous territory going towards the sort of more new age Grey's Anatomy Don't type thing? Don't even say that word, John. Don't, that is just like, it's like a romantic comedy packaged in the guise of a medical drama. Yeah, and also it doesn't resolve always to the end no. at each episode. So. I would say as a purist you need to start with Casualty because Charlie is the linchpin of the whole BBC medical drama empire. He was okay. the first, very first shot in Casualty in 1987 was Charlie driving across a bridge in his little mini and he's still in it now. So you need to start there and then work out. Well that's my weekend sort of binge Casualty Watching. You can actually buy um, back episodes now off the BBC website. Okay, we'll not be promoting that. <laughs> <laughs> but thanks. Uh, we'll park casualty there for the minute. Um, because when I asked you to come in, I told you, well, well, what I do here on my show is that I ask people about their musical influences. Mm. And maybe it's the it's the researcher in you, but you brought me actually a really great selection that I thought clearly had loads of thought and love put into it, but you said you just thought of them in like three minutes and just messaged me back with them. But it's a really nice list and uh, you've actually given me some like little links to why the songs are important. So I'm going to maybe... Um, throw these out there and then you can unpack them and and sort of explain more why but you're going to start with a little snippet from the Beach Boys Good Vibrations and apparently this is your first musical memory I I love the colourful clothes you wear and the way the sunlight plays upon her head. Well, I kind of lied. I had other first musical memories, but they weren't as good as this one. <laughs> you can't just no. scrub out your, your past. My first proper musical memory is of taking the sofa cushions off the sofa in my friend Emma's <gasps> living room and bouncing around to the um, novelty comic relief version of Cliff Richard's Living Doll. Okay, can we can we cue that up there, guys? Yeah, that's terrible. <laughs> Look, everyone, he's coming through the doors. Brilliant! He didn't even open them! He's here! Quick, Rick, do the speech. Hey, kids, stop smogging and pay attention to me. Because if you're a wild-eyed loner standing at the gates of oblivion, then hitch a ride with us, because we're on the last freedom moped out of nowhere city. And we haven't even told our parents what time we'll be back. So pull on your dancing trousers and get down to the total and utter king of rock and roll, Cliff Richard! Got myself a crying, talking, sleeping, walking, living down. You're too young to remember it, but it was an awful version. Right, so we just scrapped Beach Boys, maybe. Actually, I think this is more interesting. So you were, you were on the sofa and, and Living Doll. Cliff Richard and the Young Ones. Right. Have you ever heard it? No. Well, I have now. It's it's pretty brilliant, but we would pull the sofa cushions off the sofa and have like a close the curtains and have a bit of a disco to all her sister's records. And that was the one that stood out? That's the one that we liked the best because it's got um, people like burping and spitting and stuff in it. And then uh, we also would have danced a lot to um, Girls Just Want to Have Fun and Spirit in the Sky mm, is quite yeah. a, f- a favourite one as well. So those are my real musical first memories. But I think Good Vibrations is probably the first song I remember hearing and going, wow, that's actually brilliant. It's really proper art. Like my dad had this terrible thing called the Reader's Digest collection of country music hits which was about eight volumes of cassettes with um, pictures of a deer on the front of them in different tones, like purple, brown, orange. Brand consistency. Yeah, it had things on it like D-I-V-O-R-C-A and I Never Promised You a Rose Garden. and oh, Which is actually a good tune. That's, you know, my first musical memory of that song was uh, at a wedding. and D-I-V-O-R-C-A? Uh, no, sorry, Rose Garden. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> And I couldn't understand who was what the words were. And then either my mom or my granny explained the hook. I yeah. beg your pardon. I never promised you a rose garden. As though it was a really profound lyric. That was on your dad's country so, disc. And this was in the car, I in imagine. In the car. The Carsons are always listening to the Raiders Digest compendium of country hits. And then one year we went to France and my dad bought the best of the Beach Boys. 
and it was like sweet relief because it was really good. The only thing was I didn't hear Slipped On Bee is actually my favourite Beach Boys tune, Mm -hmm. but it was a cassette and it got lost on the flip over because it was the first song. So I didn't know that Slipped On Bee existed for a long time. A hidden track? Yeah, flipped it over, missed the first tune. Missed out on what is a fantastic Beach Boys song, but Good Vibrations to me was always like, what is this weird noise? It's amazing. In the same cinema as you, when I saw the John Cusack acted um, film of Brian Wilson's life story. I don't know, but I did see it. and it yeah, was I think brilliant. it might have been in the same cinema as that when we saw it. I, I cried a wee bit. Yeah, you, re- you liked it. I thought it was brilliant because I love Paul Dano and I love John Cusack yeah. almost as much as I love Casualty. And I love Brian Wilson, and I think they really nailed it. It was really, really good, and the sound uh, recording and the recreations of the stuff they did the in the studio was so The dogs in the studio, so and but I just couldn't, um, I couldn't see through John Cusack to see Brian Wilson. <laughs> I just saw yeah. John Cusack acting a little bit old. Yeah, for most of it. I think because I think I didn't have a very clear visual picture of Brian Wilson in my head at the time, and it was more just he. I think Husak embodied that kind of, there's a childlike thing mm, about Brian Wilson yeah. that's still even now inquisitive and eager and wants to push the boat out. Yeah. And yet there's something very vulnerable about him as well. But it just, it made me so angry when I thought, gosh, this is a man who, because he pushed the boat out and took risks with music, people like Radiohead can get away with doing what they got away with doing because he went ahead and broke the ground. Yeah. And yet he suffered so much for it. Yeah, it was in that groundbreaking zone of the mid to late 60s and the back and forth between Brian and Paul McCartney in terms of who was going to push the musical boat Mm. out that little bit further. And Brian was doing a lot of this, I guess, out of instinct and Mm. um, through his own sort of volition and when Paul heard pet sounds, he was like, oh, no, we need to really upstage mm-hmm. this with Sergeant Pepper. But Paul was also, because he was based in London, was uh, actually going out to avant-garde music concerts mm-hmm. and taking a lot of influence that way. But Brian, nearly more impressive because it's all just from his head, it's, seemingly. Yeah, it's instinctual to him. And I think there's no awareness with Brian Wilson of wanting to really sell records or have a rock star life. He just is a pure artist. Mm. And that always fascinates me, this idea that, what you know, for me, why do I write? Do I write because I want to be a writer and I want to sell books? Or do I write because the actual physical art of putting words on paper is who I am? And when you lose that, I think it's a very dangerous place to go to as an artist because the end is always more important than the means then. Mm-hmm. And that scares me a wee bit. Were you always writing? Or when did that start, creative writing? Um, I think I've all, I've always been a reader, massive reader, and I've always been an ideas person. So, like, I was the kid who did GCSE art and wrapped a, a first year in Plaster of Paris bandages. <laughs> and like, I made a giant, like, human-sized ketchup bottle for my GCSE art project. And it wasn't great, but there were always ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think... About 18, I started to think I am a writer, but I hadn't actually written anything. And then when I was 25, I moved to America for four years to Portland and Oregon. And when I got there, I told people I was a writer and I bought a laptop and then I wrote. And that was great because it was like you got to step into the thing that you knew you were. Yeah. But it was quite scary for the first year going, I am a writer, when I hadn't anything to back it up with. And... So when when did the actual first writing come, the words? Um, the first thing that I did was I asked 40 people to tell me about a dream that they'd had and I wrote up 40 dreams as like short 300 word short stories because oh. as you know from knowing me for a while, I really like projects. Yes, I was just about to say you're a project person. Yes. And this, I get, 
bit of the conceptual art yeah. in there in yeah. terms of like thinking of a like a concept for a project and then carrying it out the process of that. So whether yeah. that's forty dream stories or as you did last year, a postcard a day mm-hmm. to 365 different people. Yeah, I'm not ever doing that again. <laughs> 365 is too much. Well, like, when did I get mine? Um, November or something? Or yeah. did I get mine quite late on? I think near, nearish my birthday. I was really, really nice. Really interesting. But sorry, tell me about the dreams first. Well, I, I think you're hitting another thing on that by saying it's really nice. Like, a part of why I love being an artist is being able to invite people into the process of it. And... It can be quite lonely, especially being a writer, because there's just you and a pen or a laptop a lot of the time. And these little projects are an opportunity to create in community. So even if that response is just you send somebody back a story you've written up about their dream Mm -hmm. and they have a nicer Monday morning than they would have had if nobody had done that. Yeah. I really like that feeling of inviting people into the creative process. Um. I'm actually working at the minute on a, a project with a, a friend of mine who's a visual artist, Orla McAdam, and she is going to create um, a print based on each of the 15 short stories in the new collection, which I think is terrifying her a wee bit because I already <laughs> booked the exhibition space for June, so she actually has to do it now. So, so the book hasn't even been released and there's already like a, a side project yeah. spawning from it. Well, let's talk about the new book then. Okay. So it's a it's an anthology or a collection or a collection. I think is the proper short story. An anthology might be a bit off putting, maybe to readers. It's not a best of because I've only written one short story collection. So it's a collection of short stories by uh, any theme. Well, I think can I just read you like the first little? Oh yes, please do. Well, I'm not going to read you a lot. I just want to read you the. Do you know what you call a thing at the front of a book? Is it an epigraph? It's not an obituary. No, it is an epigraph, yeah. Well, the epigraph I picked from like a Sushant Stevens song called Casimir Pulaski Day. Mm. Um, and the epigraph is on the floor at the Great Divide with my shirt tucked in and my shoes untied. Um, and I think one of the, the themes that runs through this book is characters who are kind of tottering on the edge of stepping into themselves. Okay. So they're in the process of becoming who they really are and there's a sense that that's quite a messy process so I love that idea of having your shirt tucked in but your shoes are untied and the bigger theme of that I think in a bigger scale it's where very much Northern Ireland is at the minute that we're sort of tottering on the edge of becoming something new Mm. but it's not a streamlined fix no matter what they try to tell you about where we are it's a messy process so we do have our shirts tucked in, but our shoes are definitely untied at the minute. Yes, and I guess, I mean, maybe the analogy for that is the sort of the constant rebranding of our towns and cities and the the message that's put out by the yeah. tourist board, which isn't always actually in line with what's happening in communities yeah. and on streets. Um, like regeneration of like the Cathedral Quarter or, or Lisburn even, for yeah. example, that's maybe not in line with... It's in line with what developers want and what councillors want because it, it makes it good for a good image and yeah. a good, good photo shoot, but maybe isn't actually the best for yeah. the local I think, communities. I think there's this real sense of growing up. Like, I'm probably a little bit late to the game of growing up, but coming back from America five years ago, I'd gone away, changed a lot, and came back and had to reconcile which parts of Northern Irish culture upbringing I take on to the next part of my life because I think we all inherit a lot of stuff from the generation before, partially because this is such a goldfish bowl of a place to grow up. Yeah. And you have to decide, what do I actually believe for myself and what way do I want to vote? And, you know, what do I think about relationships and gender and what do I think about work and all of those things? And that's a, that process of growing up is a messy process. And Messy in the individuals, but even more messy when a whole country is trying to do it at the same time. Yeah, for sure. And there's there's massive divides and even the silliest of issues here. Exactly. Um, even if you think of something as simple as how we do weddings. <laughs> like, there's something unique about a Northern Irish wedding, which has very much been inherited over the last number of years about, you know, you need to spend this amount of money and go to a hotel and uh-huh. get yourself in debt and... 
all that kind of stuff. And where did that come from? And is that actually what people want? Yeah, I mean, I always find it interesting the because we sit sort of between the mainland, UK and Ireland in terms of a lot of culturalness. Yeah. Because we take so much of our mass media. Culturalness, that is not a word. I thanks. get you a job on the tourist board with that. <laughs> Impact. Uh, Im- yeah. Impactful. That's a f- another fake okay. word, but that's actually part of the lexicon now, the word impactful. Impactful. It was a fake word, so culturalness can definitely be impactful and become a, a, f- a new yeah. fake word. Because we take in so much mainstream media from the UK, I think mm-hmm. that shapes a lot of our thoughts and a lot of our presentation and style but then there's obviously a lot of links to the Republic of Ireland as well Mm. we're sort of in a a bit of a hodgepodge but Mm. then you go around different places in Northern Ireland and there's so many different accents and different thoughts mm-hmm. and views on different things so get in the car and if you're in Lisbon go to Downpatrick and if you're in Downpatrick go to Bangor <laughs> let's go back to children's children we're reassessing Northern Ireland we're post troubles we're thinking about this journey through these yeah. stories is that part of it? Absolutely it, it, not obliquely because there's nothing political in this book I tend to deal in kind of allegory and metaphor like magic realism has always been a big thing for me so um, for example there's a um, a story about a man who's a human statue and um, at first it's just his day job but then he begins to like the idea of being really still and he doesn't want to move at all and eventually he loses his wife and his child because he's <laughs> he's reluctant to and it that's quite it sounds funny but it's actually it's probably the saddest story in the book yeah but that to me was always a metaphor for kind of where mm. we are and how we embrace change that it it's much easier just to be still and not move and not do anything than it is to be part of that messiness of growing and developing and and forming relationships and all of those things. For sure, that's a. I I love short stories where there's that real germ of an idea yeah. that then just gets really explored and how far can it be taken? Mm-hmm. Um, you talked a bit a little bit about magic realism, and one of the songs you sent me, you were interested in its link to magic realism mm, yeah. in terms of your musical influences. Yeah. And you were talking about Neutral Milk Hotel and also Pavement. Yeah. There's two songs maybe in particular you're thinking yeah, of. Yeah, well, you? I just pick, I mean, all of Pavement's canon is brilliant in terms of that slightly playful, imaginative, crazy edge of magic realism. And for me, Pavement were a big band because I lived in Portland for four years and they are the Portland band kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But I just think the the first time I heard Stephen Malcolm's use of images, they're just crazy. Yeah. But they're so vibrant. You get these really clear pictures and the same thing Neutral Milk Hotel I sent you Holland nineteen forty five, which is his his song about Anne Frank. Okay. And it just the images one on top of each other and they're like little explosions that make you think of other things. Well, let's hear a little bit of Holland 1945 by Neutral Milk Hotel. a bit of Neutral Milk Hotel and it's that luring of all of these sort of really fast paced lyrics and images uh, just commenting there while we're listening to that that you're a lyrics person yeah definitely I, I, don't, I don't know if there are specifically lyrics people and music people but I can definitely tune out lyrics sometimes and not oh, really pay attention no, those are, to those the words those are bad people they're not like music people <laughs> oh no am I a bad person yeah. <laughs> Somebody spent a lot of time thinking about it. I mean, James Blunt clearly puts a lot of time into his lyrics. <laughs> or the five people who wrote those songs. Yeah. <laughs> and Pavement, um, we have a little, tiny bit of Pavement because mm-hmm. they're close to my heart too. What do you want? Cut your hair? Yeah. Advertising looks and chops a must. No big hair! Songs mean a lot when songs are bought. And so. Are you face right down to the practice room? Tension and fame's a career, 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 career. 
we'll talk about payment and then we'll go to the book. Yeah, and then I'll read a wee bit. I'll not read the bit with the used car until I'm in case my mum listens or your mum listens. She doesn't always listen. Do you find that a bit sad? Because sometimes my mum doesn't come to things and that makes me sad, but also a bit relieved because then I can swear. <laughs> so that was Pavement, Cut Your Hair. Like every Pavement song, he's just like painting these really large scenes where these yeah. different actions are happening. And and it's quite it's quite tactile as well. Like he's really good on quite often this the sound of how he puts things together and the repetition of it. Yes. You can actually hear what it's meant to be as well as like physically hear what he's describing. Yeah. And I absolutely love that. Well, will you read a little bit from Children's Children now? Now we've had your influences and that's here uh, your sort of take on magic realism. Okay, this is a sort of a little three minute section from a short story called Floater, which is about um <laughs> A girl, it's not funny, it's quite sad, John. Um, it's about a girl who has sex with a, a stranger in an airplane toilet and whenever her, her baby is born, it actually floats. And um, everywhere she goes, people can see that her child floats and it's kind of a symbol of almost like her guilt and she wants to, to sever the kind of ribbon that, that keeps her child from floating away and get on with her life. So... Um, it is quite, it's quite a tragic story, but I don't know why you're laughing. Um, so this is the section where she discovers she's pregnant and um, it's maybe not um, what she thought it was like. You were not like other unborns. You did not sleep. You twitched constantly like a trapped sneeze. Fists up from the very first second, you were grazing the roof of my belly for a skylight. After twenty weeks, the outlines of your tiny hands, already poised for flight, appeared like second and third belly buttons just above my belt. I was ashamed on account of the airplane bathroom and your father, the only open door in our street. I wore a potato sack and told no one, until finally the potato sack could no longer hide the cut of your wrists and elbows protruding through my stretch marks. Good Lord, the lady at the hospital said, holding to the light your ultrasound slides. It looks like you're giving birth to Superman or or Supergirl, she quickly corrected herself, the space between your legs still a mystery to me. Should I be worried, I asked, propping myself up for a better view. It doesn't feel like a baby. It feels more like a balloon. Could it possibly be the airplane bathroom? Stuff and nonsense. You can't go blaming airplane bathrooms. It's probably just indigestion or the way you slept last night. Get some rest. Place a sandbag on your belly. Everything will be just fine. Things were far from textbook. You swelled daily, inflating with every breath I took. By the third trimester, I was one part baby and six parts space. The doctor had nothing new to say. I asked for a second opinion, and this doctor was equally dumbstruck. I'll look it up on the internet, she said. I could just have easily done this at home. I was unsure where you'd belong in a world so taken with gravity. At the local swimming pool, enormous now, a double-decker bust swathed in a floral bathing suit. I tried to drown you. Down at the diving end where it's nine feet deep and difficult to see, I pinched my nose and sank. It did not work. The air in you was much, much larger than me. You rose. I, reluctantly wrapped around you, also rose, belly first to meet the water's surface. When the point of my chin pierced the pull skin, I opened my mouth and howled to the overhead lights for all the stupid things I had lately done in airplane bathrooms and other more obvious rooms. In the very last week, full term now and more than ready to deflate, I could no longer keep my feet on the ground. At night I bound myself with ribbons and belts to the foot of the bed and still woke to a good half foot of air between the mattress and my back. Thick with shame, I could not even tell the midwife, and next evening tied the knots tighter, hoping to delay your very first flight. God, I prayed to the curtains and the duvet cover, but most of all the carpet, which remained reassuringly underfoot. Do not let me be a single day overdue. Not a single day, you hear me. I don't want this special thing inside me one minute longer than necessary. And just like that, Jesus wept. My waters broke and you came floating out to meet the world, six pounds thick and lighter than the air. If it wasn't for the cord, a good invention on God's part, I might have lost you instantly. Oh, thanks for that, Jan. Um, 
and sorry for laughing in your lead up and during it is as quite well. sad. But it's really sad, but also your writing is always very comedic. No matter how how much you try to be serious, it's always really funny. Well, I I find it funny. I think I share your sense of humor. People didn't say that about James Joyce. <laughs> I don't know what they say about James Joyce. Um, He's dead. They don't say very much about him anymore. <laughs> so many images there. The one that really stood out for me was the overhead lighting in the pool because I could just see my own eyes opening up and seeing the lights mm. above the pool. But also we're zooming between all these different spots here and suddenly we're back in the airplane and then we're back yeah. with the doctor and all. And I love that. Is that sort of representative of the other kind of stories? Or are they all in little different voices? They're all different voices. I think there's a number of them that are a little bit more straight up linear um, and not quite as magic realist. But most of them would be similar to that. There's a, a kind of extended metaphor running mm-hmm. throughout them. Um, and I think you're right. Like I would have a, quite a dark sense of humour, maybe. So they're, they're even in the midst of things which are essentially quite tragic. There's usually a wee thing to laugh about. Yes, pardon the pun. There's a lightness. Yes, uh, the pun to do with yeah. that last story. Um, and there's also a sense of like the diary entry in a lot of uh, your writing that it's sort of a confessional to either uh, like the diary or the journal or the imagined reader who you're sort of telling over a coffee. I sort of always get that feel of there's a very intimate way in which you write that I feel like you're telling me and me alone, even if I'm hearing you read in a room full of 100 people. Maybe it's just because you know me, though. (laughs) It's your voice, yeah. (laughs) I don't know. I think everybody says, but there's a little bit of yourself in everything that you write. And I think... Even more so than Malcolm, there are a lot of things that I've struggled with, and like not personally the story of the floating baby, but there are aspects of the kind of the 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 met what the metaphor represents. Yeah, there are aspects of those things that I have worked through and struggled with since coming back from America. So I feel like there's a little bit of me in quite a few of these characters, mm-hmm. some more strongly than others, um, and. Possibly that's why it's okay to bring humour in because it's always all right to laugh at yourself. Yes. So even when things are darkest, I would always find things, oh, that's quite funny or that was a bit odd. Or So I've tried to write those in as well. And again, that's the Northern Irishness coming Absolutely. out. Absolutely. If we didn't laugh, we'd cry. No, sorry, I'm not getting. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. I'm not getting all Northern Irish here. No, but I mean that is a a lot of the sense of humour around yeah. that uh, we can take the Mickey out of ourselves, mm-hmm. and at least if you can laugh at yourself, then it makes it a little bit less hard mm-hmm. when other people <laughs> laugh at you. Yeah. For one and, thing, and I think as well, like. For a long time, we our prose writing has been quite factual and quite gritty and quite yes. realistic because mm-hmm. we've been in a position where there hasn't been very much to laugh at and not a lot of room for imagination. So actually, the Northern Irish novel for the last wee while has been very linear, plot-driven, quite straight down the road. Sure. Um, but whenever you look back to people like Brian Moore as a big hero for my, me, and Brian Moore dabbled with magic realism there's a lot of stuff in like the emperor of ice cream and um the the victorian one which i can't remember what the exact name of it is where it's just odd stuff yeah and i think that comes from our tradition of like this is a a country that is steeped in mythology so why aren't we a wee bit more at ease with playing around with a little bit of magic and mystery and a wee bit of craziness yeah, I mean, a lot of poetry, and even actually, well, we t- mentioned Joyce, and yeah. uh, well, Joyce and Beckett were like infused in this sort of playfulness yeah. and this, you know, sort of subverting things. So that was modernism, I guess, as well. And right now, we're post troubles, post modernism, yeah. post everything, trying to work it all out. If you're wondering what we're talking about, you are listening to the Geo Case. <laughs> if you've just tuned in, I'm John Darcy, yeah. and in my company tonight is a local author, Jan Carson, and she's just. Released releasing a book this week. It's called Children's Children and it's a collection of short stories 
stories and Jan you're launching it this Thursday night Thursday 3rd of March at 6.30pm in the Crescent Arts Centre and uh, after hearing that little excerpt I'm really excited to uh, did you bring along a spare copy for me to have a read later or no, I, do I, ha- do you know I have to what? go to launch and get one then? I actually, can't, I actually had to go and buy this in Waterstones <laughs> to come and write tonight because I gave away my last copy to, to somebody yesterday so um, but you can I can send you the PDF of it if you oh, want. It's just not the same, no. is it? The Kindle or whatever. Or you could um, just actually put your hand in your pocket and buy a copy. I think John. I will. I think I will. I'll come along and uh, will you sign it if I go? Yeah, of course I will. And there's yes. biscuits. I'd like to highlight a little event as well that you're taking part in later in the week, which is part of Women's Work Festival. Yes. Which is in the lead up to International Women's Day, which is next Tuesday. Yes. And I will be doing a dual case next Tuesday. I haven't confirmed my guest, but uh, hopefully someone who's doing It's going to be Sinead O'Connor. <laughs> I think she'll be busy on International Women's Day, but you're doing a thing for Women's Work Festival organised by Charlotte Dryden and some of the people at the OEM Music yeah, Centre. Yeah, Roisin White as well. Roisin White, yes. And you're doing an event with Roisin mm-hmm. um, on the Sunday and it's called Where Do You Go, My Lovely? And I think it's a lovely name for a gig. It's just that little bit longer than you expect a gig yeah. title to be. Um, and it's sort of a mixture of music and literature and different yeah. things. So there's a, well, I'm not sure who's doing the music side of it because, as we established earlier, I don't really hear music, just lyrics. <laughs> but um, I'm going to be reading, and um, Emily Dadakis and a fantastic po- couple of poets called Geraldine Kane and um, Aaron Kelly. Yeah. So there'll be a smorgasbord of different kind of, of writing, so it won't all be odd stories. So that's this Sunday evening in the Black Box Cafe as part of Women's Work Festival. Some of the musicians uh, are Lucy Robinson, Paula McAleese, Roisin White herself, uh, Kate O'Callaghan and Kate Gilbertson. Um, and as I said, that's part of the Women's Work Festival. So if you go on to womensworkni.com, there's loads of great events highlighting some of the great work that female creatives are doing in Northern Ireland. And if you caught the dual case Two weeks ago, a new band called Beauty Sleep were on mm. and they were talking about the Go Girl movement, which their keyboard player Shailene takes a big part of. And they have a showcase on Sunday as well. So I recommend you go there, womensworkni.com, to check out all of that interesting stuff. Now, Jan. What are you going to ask me now? I'm going to get back to your little list of songs that you sent yeah, me. Because go for it. Um, you've, you've, you've talked about um, being in America a lot. Mm hmm. And Portland, Oregon, and especially. Mm-hmm. But you sent me a song that uh, touches on your American influences yes. uh, by Emmy Lou Harris, Boy from Tupelo. Which I love. And why is this song special to you? Well, it's special for a number of reasons. I absolutely love Emmy Lou Harris. I just think she's one of the most beautiful voices in the world, and I think she's an exceptional songwriter who, I mean, she really didn't begin writing her own material until she was in sort of later life. Yeah. Which there's just a richness to it. But um, this particular song is special to me because last year I collaborated with a musician, Hannah McPhillamy, on writing some songs based on my first novel. And one of the songs that we performed as part of that project was Boy From Tupelo. Mm. Um, And I love it because it references so many different parts of American culture. So it's a memory song about looking back at a kind of lost America, America that's almost already disappeared. So Boy From Tupelo is Elvis, but is also Graham Parsons. Mm. And there's references to things like Five and Dimes and Texaco gas stations and um, the Carter family on the radio and all sorts of things. And that's the American that I fell in love with. I mean, I really cut my teeth on big American writers, so Carver and Hemingway and Steinbeck and Salinger and probably more later on the the Southern Gothic writers, so Faulkner and Carson McCullers and Flannery O'Connor, who's still probably my favourite writer, and, and Truman Capote and just enormous amounts of American literature. So a lot of that has influenced my writing as well. Well, let's have that little taste of Americana now. Uh, a little snippet of Boy from Tupelo by Emmy Lee Harris. Like a buffalo, Easy 
that was a bit of Emily Harris, Boy from Tupelo. Um, lots of, lots more imagery, but this time uh, Americana. Mm-hmm. You're big on the imagery. Do you just watch TV all the time, or do you no. read as well? No, I I read a lot. Um, I read a scary amount of books. So last year I I crunched a hun- I think it was 164 books wow. in one year. But I don't really watch TV, and I guess I probably don't have very many friends. Oh, John. Um, there's plenty on, on Twitter. Yeah. I, if you follow Jan Carson on Instagram or Twitter, you will see exactly what she takes in. Yeah. In her cultural viewing and reading and listening because she posts a lot of the books and films that she yeah. uh, attends or reads. But mostly it's because I forget what I've read and I, 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 if I post it, then I remember. It's such a good idea because I always forget films that I've watched and books that I've read. I don't read as many books that as I go I to I bought films. OK Computer three times <laughs> because I kept thinking, I really must buy that record. So I've now started kind of as like a little memory trick, yeah. taking pictures of things. But also, once again, it pulls other people into your experience. So you post up a book, what you thought of it, and other people start commenting and you start a dialogue about a piece of art rather than just an isolated experience. I like that and it also helps you then um, parse it in another way um, whenever that dialogue starts because a lot of the time I have an initial gut reaction to Mm. a piece of art uh, like a film and it's only on in retrospect talking about it with other people then I actually form my full opinion on it. Yeah a lot of particularly like interesting films you come out and you're just hit with the initial kind of experience of having seen this thing and you have to go away and unpick the themes and the subtleties of it. Um, I've got a really good friend called Mackenzie who actually writes soundtracks for movies in the States mm-hmm. and we are joking now about having some kind of online review thing because I will post what I think of a movie and then he will destroy it and put it back together because he knows what he's talking about. Well, here, Jan, I hate to interrupt the great crack that we're having, but we really have to go soon. Mostly because I have to go home and I play our whole way. <laughs> so lucky that there's these great digital services and that you, your life doesn't have to revolve around actually getting home and setting the VHS or exactly. all that um, But yeah, I do appreciate you taking out of the time of your uh, hospital drama watching schedule to come and join me for the jewel case I'm so excited to be at your book launch this Thursday evening will you maybe give us another short story before you go yeah I thought I would leave you with a short story and then a wee song as well not that I'm going to sing oh that would be lovely no it wouldn't it'd be horrific John (laughs) I've never heard you sing yeah there's a reason for that oh no um so do you know the first time I think I met you was we were both performing at the same show what what show was it? I think it was one that our good friend Ben Mayer was putting on as Seamus Heaney oh, Jamborini. Yes. <laughs> and there was a wasp in the room. <laughs> While you were reading. And Karen Carson walked out in the middle of my reading. Is that why he walked out? Well, no, it has happened three <laughs> times, but I think I don't think it's any telling on me. I think it's just, just a bad coincidence. Yeah. But I keep noticing. What were you reading? I read... Oh, the one about the circus people. Oh, it's maybe like, I walked out like, of that one too. I can't remember. <laughs> it's terrible. It's um, a self-help class for people who are trying to get over being circus performers. That's right. I that's a good that. short story. Yeah. It's not in no, this collection, though. No. no, somebody published it somewhere some at some stage, though, so it must have been okay. <laughs> um, anyway... If you come to my book launch, one of the things that you will hear is Hannah McPhillamy playing some music. And the other thing that you will get if you're there early enough is I've made some little mix CDs. And the mix CDs are of the music I was listening to when I wrote this this um, short story collection. And one of them is a song by the band Love called Alone Again Or, which has the line in it, people are the greatest thing. And for me that is has just been kind of the essence of these short stories it's been about wandering around East Belfast and looking at people in all their sort of oddity and strangeness and wonderfulness and trying to to nail that down so I wanted to leave you with a wee story about um, Bill who has just recently retired and is going a little bit mad having to spend all of his time at home with his wife every day and he gets sent out to sweep the front step of the house and decides just to keep on sweeping. 
So <laughs> this is a story about Bill and his wife is called Jin. There were only five houses to the corner of their street. Bill decided to keep on sweeping. Just on their side of the road, of course. He wasn't martyr enough to do the other side. He would do this for Jin, he told himself. Make the place look nice so she wouldn't be mortified when her sister arrived. It was good when you wanted to do something for yourself and there was an excuse which fit it exactly, making it seem like the right thing to do. Sure am and I the good husband, Bill was telling himself as he reached the end of their street. He felt the urge to keep sweeping all the way up the Craiga and onwards in the direction of Dundonald. He didn't even try to stop himself. The pile of dirt was bigger than a handbag now. There was a dead bird in it and a used condom. He tried not to look at either item directly. He tried not to think about things coming apart, spilling into each other like bread and gristle mixing in the compost bin. At five, he stopped outside a wee Tesco. It was almost three hours since he'd started sweeping and he was hungry. He lent his yard brush against the window and went in for a jumbo Twix and a bottle of Lucozade. The Lucozade was cool in the bottle and bubbling like fish breath. Bill held it in front of his face. He could see it and also through it. The liquid inside the bottle was almost the same colour as the sky setting over East Belfast. This struck him as beautiful, like on a postcard. He was not normally a romantic man and did not know where to put this thought. It swelled in him like heartburn, or the bloating pride he'd come to associate with pipe bands and Van Morrison and the shipyard cranes striding across the East Belfast skyline, like bow-legged bandits from another place. It's not such a bad wee bit of the world, is it? He said to the next person he passed. This person did not speak to him or even acknowledge Bill's presence, for Bill was an elderly man in his shirt sleeves and it was almost dark and he was still sweeping. A thumbprint of chocolate had smudged itself into the flesh between his chin and his mouth. Jin would not have tolerated this. Jin would have gone at it with a damp cloth, but Jin was not here. Bill tried to picture her in the kitchen with Maureen, wondering when he might come home. It's not like Bill, she was saying, and her hands were cradled around a killing teacup. And Maureen was not saying anything, though they both knew she wanted to. Bill looked at the yard brush. It felt good in his hands. He wondered if other men might feel the same way about guns. I could do another hour, he thought, if the light holds. It was a pleasant evening and could still be considered summer. There was nothing in particular stopping Bill. There was more than enough dirt in East Belfast to keep him from gin for as long as he wished. <laughs> Thanks so much, John, uh, for that. Uh, you have been listening to Jan Carson read a short story from her new collection, Children's Children, which she's launching this Thursday night, the 3rd of March, at 6.30pm in the Crescent Arts Centre in Belfast. And that story, what's, sorry, what's the name of that story? That wee one's called Swept. Swept. Swept away, I was... <laughs> My humor in that story. You know, it's it's the little thoughts that people share with themselves and with the reader in your stories, which gets me the little things that you can empathize with because they're things that you think and you think no one else thinks them. And I really like that. Um, and I think that's part of the Northern Irishness as well of the finding little intricacies of our social behavior and what people expect Mm. of us. Um, but thanks again Jan uh, you've been a very gracious guest uh, I hope I've been a gracious host in here we've, <laughs> we've rushed in the studio and I've, I've mangled the, the, the mics here and, and I didn't even got... get a cup of tea <laughs> I'm sorry sorry we'll go, we'll go for we'll go for pizza now okay okay um, I just want to highlight again that before you go you are reading and also sort of uh, you know being MC, Master Ceremonies, at an event at Women's Work uh, Festival this weekend, Sunday, at the Black Box. Can I call you MC for that? I don't know. Am I MCing? <laughs> it says presented by Roisin White and Jan Carson. Oh, does it? Okay. I'm, I'm MCing. <laughs> Here, I was just thinking we should probably say that my publishers as Liberties or um, they might be cross if we don't mention that. Shout out Liberties. Liberties down in Dublin, um, if it's okay to say, if you do want to buy the book. Oh you, yeah, um, you should buy it from a local independent bookseller, and the best one that I know is No Alibis. There's plenty of local booksellers, but uh, there's not really, John. 
I know I have to say that I have to say that but uh, no, no alibis in Belfast doing loads of great events and getting loads of great offers in to do uh, nice things in their shops so definitely work to, yeah. worth taking a wee trip down there especially if you're into your crime fiction yes and they have lovely bags as well and I'm going to nip in this weekend and sign some copies in there so oh great oh, well that's more reason for people to take a wee trip into Belfast yeah, and, if you sign them they can't send them back to the publisher afterwards because it's like you've written on them <laughs> Yes, that's a good way to... Uh, is that shifting copies or do they just have to go landfill in? I don't know. I've not. Don't think that about it. That would never happen to don't me, Don't think John. about it, John. Don't think about it. Um, but more nice stuff from you in the future. You were just telling me uh, while we were listening to some tracks about uh, really interesting projects you're doing like in the Tropical Ravine and Botanic Gardens and you're going over the States sometime soon. But we're not going to talk about them no. now because I'm just going to get you back in yes. in a couple of months time and we'll we'll chat through your, your new adventures then yes thanks again John Carson if people want to get in touch how do they contact you on Twitter best way yeah my Twitter handle yes is at John Carson 7280 I'm not going to give out my phone number on the radio because please don't just be please don't I don't want to do or even to my email address <laughs> Twitter's fine yeah. Uh, contact John on Twitter and uh, you can keep up with what she's reading mm-hmm. and what she's Oh, and I have a wee blog, which is jancarsonwrites.wordpress.com, where I just write about things that interest me. And there's links to maybe like your short stories and postcard stories and things there? or um, Well, I don't put any short stories up there anymore because um, they won't publish them if they're already online. Ah. That's a good trick. I know. I know. It's a bit sad because they make people pay money for them now. <laughs> but, John, you're a writer, and that's how it works. It does, John. <laughs> artists have to eat. Well, if you want to help local artists eat, uh, go down to uh, John's book launch this Thursday and, uh, and grab like, a coffee. There are actually biscuits at it as well. So local artists will be eating. I'm sure loads of local yeah. artists will be heading down to get the free biscuits at that one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, John, thanks a million. And uh, you have been listening to The Jewel Case with me, John Darcy. We will be back next Tuesday night on Lisburn's 98 FM, Bangor FM and FM 105 in Downpatrick. If you've missed any of our previous episodes, you can go to thejewelcase.johndarcy.com or search us on iTunes or Audio Boom. These podcasts, people find it somewhere there. Uh, John, we will take a little bit of a tune just to end the show and we'll go back to love which you give a little bit of a reference to earlier with your short story this is a tune by the band love it's called alone again or and um as i mentioned earlier i think it's probably one of the biggest songs that influenced the stories in this collection mostly because it's just about how brilliant people are and i think as you read them you'll see that i've been very nosily observing people in all of their kind of the details of how they're broken and flawed but also kind of wonderful as well alone again or by love night night yeah i've heard a funny thing somebody said to me you know that i could be in love with almost everyone i think that people are the greatest ones